Chapter Nine of the Death of Society, a Novel of Tomorrow, by Romer Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter Nine. They passed across the rough lawn under the pale shadows of the cherry trees, which had been pruned so that their boughs grew higher and more symmetrically than by nature. The white branches made a pattern like sea foam against the blue sky above stop stop cried natalia i will break off some cherry boughs if you twist about like that i shall drop you said smith severely if you let me fall i shall have you executed hilda shall stick pins into you until you die then we will give a party to the trolls and roast you i shall have nils to build a big fire and spit you and i shall turn the spit she hit him on the head with the cherry branches she had broken off you are a wild kid he cried stop it yes i am wild now hola i am out hunting on my new horse she hit him again across his shoulders and he let her drop catching her tight to him as she reached the ground in order not to let the fall hurt her i said i should he laughed hot with his effort you mad kid and he let her go she sprang off and seizing the keys from hilda ran up to the summer house crying you shan't open it you shan't open it he sprang after her and as she got the key in the door clamped his hand down on hers none of that he said roughly those keys are mine your old god wotan gave them to me now 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 he said laughing if you get hurt don't blame me my keys my house laughed natalia harder than ever and shook her head back in his face you can't wake brunhilde he said so what is the good of fighting about it i was going in to kill the nasty wretch she cried i hate her i hate her at last she was quite out of breath and gasped oh i am out of breath smith stopped fighting but kept his hand on hers which was still tight round the key hilda who stood near them with a broom and dusters said in norwegian thou wilt break the key karin she wished the fight to stop she wished them to cease to be so unself-conscious and to help her to open and clean the house what will you give me if i take my hand away said smith in the ancient manner of ransom there was not anything he particularly wanted but primeval nature never surrendered its captives for nothing i will give you said natalia a curl of my hair not enough he cried and started to squeeze her hand on the key swap brunhilde for a lock of mad girl's hair i will give you a a she wished to say kiss but hilda was there i will give you a keepsake of chip flowers she twisted because the key was hurting her hand but she dared not cry out for then smith would let go and she did not want that like that in my room he asked thinking of the flowers over the crucifix yes won't do he said i will steal for you she cried and bit her lips those curtains in the sitting-room he took his hand off hers at once and she took hers away also there was a red impression of the key in the palm smith did not notice her his soul glowed with the complete recollection of rosa ingman which came to him he took out a cigarette and natalia looked up at him in surprise with sudden tears in her eyes well he said for that you can have the key and brunhilde and the universe she unlocked the door and going in quickly blinked and let her tears fall it was dark owing to the closed shutters so that she was able to mop her eyes without being seen smith however had caught sight of her tears look here he said jumping in after her and putting his hands on her shoulders i didn't hurt your hand did i no replied natalia under a sob don't don't 
Hilda! And shook his hands off. Right, he murmured, as if he understood, which he did not, and going over to the shutters said, Now, how do these things open? But Hilda had already unfastened the windows, which opened inward, and was unlocking the shutters with the keys, which had caused so much trouble. Please, Mr. Smith, she said, go outside and take the shutters down. They take quite off. Put them at one end, and Nils will store them away tomorrow. He went outside immediately. It was heavy work. The shutters were seven foot long and had to be lifted out of their hinges. He took off his coat and waistcoat and threw them on the grass. Soon, however, he had taken down eight shutters, two to each window, and the front of the summer-house stood disclosed with its eight glass doors and wide veranda, as if it had suddenly been created by magic. And now the other side, cried Natalia, who was there in the newly created pavilion like a doll in a doll's house, with Hilda sweeping and dusting as if she had been carrying on her activities for many years, and was now for the first time revealed to the common gaze. What? he cried. You are killing me. Why, you have only opened it to the morning sun, she laughed. The south must be unshuttered also. Smith spat on his hands, and, urged on by Natalia, took down six more shutters along the south end. When he had done, he said, what a pavilion. Hilda continued to sweep and dust, but Natalia did nothing more than fix up cherry boughs over the windows, and when Smith stopped working, she ceased to do even that. She watched the young man with his sleeves rolled up on his strong, hairy arms, and thought his arms were like the boughs of old trees, and wished to touch them to see if they felt as wooden as they looked. Why, you have arms like a may-tree, she said, all knots. He turned them round and clenched his fists to raise the muscles. I have handsome arms, he said, and rolled his shirt-sleeves up to the top. I could break you in two with them. Crack! Bust all your ribs. She came down the steps of the veranda to where he was standing in the grass. Shall I try, Miss Curiosity, he asked, laughing and holding out his arms. Shall I show you how mighty strong men are? Yes, she said. You mean it? Yes, she replied. So he put his arms round her and squeezed her ribs as tight as ever he dared until she threw back her head and cried, Oh, oh, in real pain. He laughed and let her go and lit another cigarette as if it was his common practice to try his strength on girls' ribs. Now you know I am not to be trifled with, he said. Natalia also knew how perfectly passionless his gaiety and fun with her were. Half of her was angry and half of her was glad. There was nothing else to be done under the circumstances but to let her gladness triumph over her anger. And as she calmed her wounded pride, she said a little spitefully, Englishman, you horrid Englishman. He laughed. He was gloriously happy because he loved Rosa Ingman. He cared for neither fear nor enemies nor hate. Everything was wonderful. Happiness poured down upon him in the sunshine, and he could as soon toss a pretty girl over the highest tree as kiss her, or run to the top of a mountain and laugh back, Pa! You can't attain to me. I am glorious. Yet he also felt modest, more modest than usual, and he was innately modest, thinking himself the least of created creatures. Hilda saw that it was useless to expect either Natalia or Smith to do any further work with the summer house, and decided on the whole to leave them to themselves, as she had no influence over their actions. Natalia must look out for herself. It was her fault if she let Smith maul her. She had besides to recognize that there was nothing in his face but sheer good spirits. Axel only flung himself about in company with men. 
when he was with herself she kept him at bay for she knew rough actions led to violent kisses and such like when hilda had gone away saying that she was going to look out the cushions for the cane chairs smith became his sedate and stately self again and natalia sat quietly down upon the steps of the summer-house let us go for a walk up to that precipice where the waterfall is he said gazing up at the wall of rock high over the trees not far away from the top of which the hills curved backward to the snows that is one of the brooks which runs into tageso said natalia i like those long hanging streams of water how blue the sky is at this time of year she said stones roll off the hills and kill you i do not care he cried like a boastful little boy i will catch them in my hand and throw them back at the ugly old mountain how stupid you are she laughed i am i am quite mad he replied it must be the weather but he knew quite well it was not he sat down on the steps beside her it is you know he said the most glorious thing in the world to be mad i think one is only really perfectly sane when one knows oneself to be completely mad you would hardly think i was once a major in an army and know all the bitterness of war his eyes took on a far-away look and he began to speak as if he were talking to himself as if he had said the words many times before it has gone gone from my daily life but i feel that i have lived twice and i believe that none of us who have seen it can find the world quite what you find it we can't altogether learn to be men who have not been through the deepest drudgery of hell i shall never forget there is a complete reverse side to peace or what it is like the war has made strange men of some of us it is as if after a fearful dream our brains are not accustomed to common every day you know it has made me patient so patient sometimes i think i am in a lethargy of don't care i am unfeeling too and yet a thousand times more sensitive my sense of values has got back to front what i considered trifles before i see sometimes now are really profundities and the other way about ugh he said what is a war it breeds more than it kills and opens up life to the core now he concluded that i can revisualize that frightful hell take me up to the waterfall he leaped up and natalia had to follow he went on talking however about the past as if he could not leave the recitation incomplete corrugated iron shells mud those seem to be the war to me if you can imagine those in the midst of rain and stench and wet you will know what a dismal business it was i had a battery of medium heavies big guns you know cannon the trees had no leaves the houses no roofs no doors there were no women nothing but our guns and the shells approached your notion of completeness the ground was gaping open and littered with debris memory is a queer thing i still recollect my shadow on the mud wall before me i used at one time to tell myself it was a fine day when i saw that grey-blue shadow i still when i am tired remember seeing a man drown in a shell-hole behind our battery he fell in because he was tired and the mud on his boots prevented him helping himself it was not a big hole and i knew directly he was drowned that i could have saved him but i stood and watched him in cold blood because i had not slept and instinct was dead though curiosity remained if he had appealed to me directly i should have saved him but he drowned merely muttering to god and the devil those were bad days not long after that i was mercifully hit and slightly wounded nothing at all here through my shoulder 
but i had a break a blissful break from duty and from the emotions of going on leave where you made a fool of yourself on the line of naked passions there he said i should not talk about it it is over and done with but this house brings it back this house seems to contain the past and present and future he led the way up the path that he had ascended with old ingman and natalia walked a little behind into one side of him he had not put on his coat and waistcoat and she wondered if he were not cold with his rolled-up shirt-sleeves she was a little cold herself under the still shadows of the high pines but she dared not go back for her coat it was about three-quarters of a mile to the waterfall along a winding path that gradually grew more precipitous overhung by rocks many rocks fallen from the cliff above lay down the side of the ravine below covered with thick moss and shaded by fir-trees which sprang up between them the path became level but the cliffs overhead sheared out so that in places smith found himself forced to walk with bent shoulders you are tall said natalia after they had walked some time in silence heavens he said stopping and looking round over his shoulder i had quite forgotten you were following me are you all right yes she said very hurt i am all right why i have hurt her he thought poor child when they were able to walk upright he said don't be hurt because i said i had forgotten you dear it's a complaint of old soldiers and old huntsmen they often forget their surroundings and wish they did not i shouldn't have let you know it should i i was thinking of nothing at all but of bryce and the sand dunes at dunkirk we were watching the families of people who camped out there during the bombardments as bryce said like a lot of hebrews in the ruddy wilderness little kids in pink petticoats old frenchmen in blue blouses women infernally ugly women with babies ancient grannies in starched caps ugly as monkeys they brought mats and kettles and bread and a few when they could get them onions i've seen women hawking vegetables on barrels in those dunes with an unfortunate poor dog to help them over the impossible sand why yes even trying to sell flowers the few better class hid themselves under little tents of tablecloths and umbrellas how terrible it must have been said natalia terror you know he replied is a very curious thing it is worse to think of than to feel imagination colours up reality it is only subconsciously the real frightfulness of things is felt a lot is spared to the ordinary senses as long as one isn't ill thank heaven we are all rather blind what extraordinary revelations we should have if our eyes cleared for a single day one doesn't know anything anything at all and i know less than that on the minus side of nothing asked smith smiling what i mean is that i think i know only futile things there is your waterfall torvald smith looked up the waterfall fell from immensely high down the face of a rock across a little gorge and twenty or thirty feet below rushed away in a foaming stream it is not so long as those in the driva gorge he said but how beautiful is this lange herfos yes he said did rosa ingman speak of it your father did he replied why you are shivering yes are you not cold she asked no he cried as if he could never be cold again but what am i to do with you i have no coat why he said here and scrambled up the cliff behind him you will fall you will fall she cried not i he shouted and climbed up till he came to a small birch tree with weeping branches which he tore off in a moment he was down again and pressed the leaves round her with his arms creep close to me he said 
I will make you warm, and then we will walk quickly back. Poor child. How kind you are, Torvald, she said. I kind, he asked, and with one hand stroked her hair. Do you think so? Are you getting warmer? Daphne and Apollo, aren't we? Now, he added, feeling he had said something foolish, tell me about longer hairfuls until you feel warm enough to run. How can he be so kind and yet not love me, thought Natalia. I don't understand. Oh, oh, he loves Rosa Ingman. I must remember that. Who that loved her would turn his eyes on me? She said aloud, Rosa Ingman used to bring me here when I was a small child, and she used to smile at me until I thought I didn't want anything else but to see her smile. She used to smile and say that she thought the waterfall was beautiful. I always thought she was more beautiful, and that she hung the water from the top of the mountain to please me. Oh, I wished, I did wish I could think she was my mother. She can make one believe anything. I believe she spreads the snow out on the mountains like linen, said Smith and laughed in joyous recollection. I wished, continued Natalia, creeping closer to him, that she belonged to me. She loved me, but she did not belong to me. And you, Torvald, you seem to love me, but you do not belong to me. She slipped her arms round his neck. Are you part of Rosa Ingman? I, said Smith, his whole soul rising within him. A part of Rosa Ingman? How can I tell? I have not asked her. Torvald cried Natalia, I love you. She threw her head back and looked into his eyes with her mouth a little open, her eyes lost in gazing like one fainting in spirit. She said in a voice full of tears, but the romantic tears of first love, I know you do not belong to me. Nothing belongs to orphans. They are born under a black star. Smith's arms trembled. Who could resist such beauty? He felt dizzy. For a minute he found nothing to say and with difficulty restrained himself from pressing her to his heart and kissing her as lovers kiss. He stared very hard over her head at the waterfall, and its long gliding streaks wore into his brain and gave him a counter-dizziness. After a few seconds he recovered himself. He said, You love me, Natalia? Yes, she replied. He could imagine no further words and threw himself upon his instinct again as he had done before. His lips said, Entirely? I feel, she said, as if I could do everything you told me, and go with you anywhere you wished. He began gradually to take his arms from her. You dear child, he said, love is a question of two people. I know, she replied, and I will not ask you for any love, nor for anything, Torvald, but to let me talk. Well, you shall talk, he answered, and stood away from her. Had he led her to believe he loved her? The idea made him sick. Oh, she said, oh, you make it seem as if fairies were alive, this place all fairyish, and me not real but made of air like a ghost or a fairy. Yet she thought, how safe it is in his arms. It is the safest place I have ever known. A fairy, he said, do I? But that is what you are, and I am only a common mortal man. He smiled, but with difficulty, and leaned his back against the rocks. She stood on the very edge of the gorge with her back to the abyss, and her hands out on each side, as if she were the fairy fortune alighted there. She looked again like Rosa Ingman, and he wished it were indeed Rosa Ingman. Then he would clasp her to his heart and never let her go again. He would, he thought, have flung himself and her into the pool below, and sought everlasting unity in heaven, where a man and a woman make one bright angel, or everlasting embrace in the gray shades of limbo, 
where damned lovers cling and moan but this minute if natalia had stepped backward he did not believe he could have brought himself to save her by touching her what have i done he thought again in fear have i injured her heart have i made myself responsible to her he stared at her hard and breathed heavily he could bear to injure nobody on earth at last words came to him and he said with a dark glance one day one day you will be a marvellous woman and to that end make what use of me you can if i have injured you blame god who created me a man natalia put up her hand to signify that she blamed him not at all oh he cried and turned round roughly from her you women and your hands you will stop mountain torrents and turn armies and break the force of the sea you are strange torvald she cried but if she were here if rosa ingman were here she would understand you you are right quite right he said we understand one another she and i he had no more to say he wanted to get back to the house to be near rosa ingman even if he did not see her all his thoughts ceased and she filled his whole mind he had a rushing desire to get back to her and with impatience aspired to brush away the forest and rocks and distance as if they were misty nothings that clouded his sight of her like cobwebs the desire the absolute necessity to be near her made him hurry down the pathway so quickly that natalia had to run to keep near him close to him she dared not go because she knew that he was no longer thinking of her and beside him she suffered more pain from her knowledge than at a little distance she felt a little forlorn and pitiful of herself like the last lamb in the flock which fears it may be lost rosa ingman might be sitting in that long room waiting for him and thinking of him smith reflected she might be alone and if she were what kept him here why did he not run back to her at full speed burst open the impeding doors then fling himself before her and cry with all his soul rosa rosa christensen i have come back end of chapter nine recording by expatriate in bangor maine